You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Introducing Patio Shield Zone Mosquito Repellent from Thermacell. If you enjoy being outside but hate mosquitoes. Like me. Who enjoys being outside and also loves mosquitoes? Let's be real. You will love Patio Shield. Patio Shield creates a 15-foot mosquito protection zone. It's lightweight, portable, and comes in three bold colors. Discover for yourself why thermocell repellers are so highly rated and backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Thermocell Patio Shield. Turn it on. Mosquitoes gone. Use code CRIME to save 20% on Patio Shield at thermocell.com. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Bye-bye. Philo is a simple, powerful app for watching TV. Get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels like Investigation Discovery, HGTV, AMC, MTV, and more, as well as live TV, on-demand, and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month. No contract needed. There's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. No credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash crime. crime. That's go.philo.com slash crime. crime. Or text the word crime to 74456. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll look at the cross petition by Adnan Syed's legal team. We'll go behind the bars with Odell in In the Dark, and we'll stretch our muscles and hopefully not poop ourselves when we review the ESPN (laughs) 30 for 30 podcast series, Bikram. Joining me to do all of that and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and partner in crime, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Namaste, Rebecca. (laughs) I will never hear that word the same way again. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and triple certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, my cat prowess is growing. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the novelist behind the City Trilogy and the Crime Writers on Patreon exclusive book club Westworld robot host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. I was going to say namaste, bitches, but I guess Kevin stole it. Um, So, hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well, as long as you don't ask me to massage your calves or any of that bullshit. It's going great otherwise. Massage. Come up to my hotel room. (laughs) Comb my hair. Well, I just want to- Check out my uh, Speedo. (laughs) Can't even- Can't even. We'll get to. We'll get there. We'll get there. I just want to let you guys know in our audience that once again, we are organized enough to know what we are going to be talking about next week. Ah. Uh, We're going to be talking about the hit series from BBC America that is gaining steam and making a lot of waves. It's called Killing Eve. And if you haven't watched it yet, I recommend checking it out. And we are going to be talking about it next week it's super it's fun oh super fucking awesome now toby you've started watching killing eve you think it's super fun is that a little preview of your thoughts i'm just so happy wow. to hear you say something's fun yeah well i'm only two episodes in so it could get super dark so, <laughs> so far it's super fun spoiler alert it's, super it's fun. called killing eve <laughs> i know it's not taking eve out to the, dinner <laughs> right although it does happen they did have trying dinner. unsuccessfully to kill eve that's right well let's save it for the next week's podcast guys let's save it so the other thing I wanted to mention is that we are so organized right now that we know what we're going to be talking about the week after next week. Mm-hmm. 
because huge news came out. At least it was news to me. I guess other people probably knew, but it was news to me. On June 8th, Netflix is going to be releasing the original series, The Staircase, the old episodes and then the newer episodes, plus the three brand new episodes Ooh. that uh, were at the Tribeca Film the Festival. At Tribeca, yeah. And that um, everyone has been talking about. This is, of course, the Michael Peterson case. And we are going to be talking about that update to the staircase. And perhaps because we have two weeks and because we know about it in advance, perhaps we'll be revisiting the original, some of the original stuff from the staircase as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about in two weeks. And of course, we always leave slots on our schedule open for um, other emergency true crime updates and news as they might come up. But I'm really, really excited that um, The Staircase, which we've talked about about 150 times in this podcast, is finally going to be available on Netflix and therefore available just to more people. And we get to talk about the owl theory with Toby. The owl. Yes, yes. But our friend Amelia McDonald-Perry did tweet that having seen the new episodes and some other stuff that she is now on Team Owl. She's Just like saying. definitely. Oh, for yeah. God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, you can never be too careful when you go outside. That's all I'm saying. That's right. There were bears in our neighborhood last week, guys. Real I life saw bears. That. We, you, not, you were not getting out of the car, were you, Rebecca? Um, I may have made Rebecca. the mistake of following my neighbor back when he said, let's just walk up. Uh, just to fill our listeners in, there were uh, there was a mother bear and two bear cubs in a tree that was about 100 yards from our house. But they were in the tree. They were like 20 feet up. The mother was about 20 feet up and then the cubs were about 20 feet above her. And we were looking at them from the car and they were, they're so freaking cute. I'm sorry. You know how like polar bears get all dingy and white? Like black bears are just cute and they stay cute. They're the cutest animals in the world. So they're up there. They're very cute. We drove back home. I told our neighbor that there were bears in the tree around the corner. And he's like, let's walk up there and look. And I was like, that's stupid. And then I proceeded to follow him around the corner. (laughs) And then, of course, as soon as we turned the corner, I saw the mother bear was not in the tree. She was in the yard. And I, in the video, which, to be real, I did not take, he took... He is filming the mother bear, and you can hear me running away in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Literally running away. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a quick plug. Um, this week, I was invited to come on the Slate Double X Gab Fest. That is the podcast hosted by uh, Hannah Rosen, and it had, features a bunch of women talking about the media and uh, different aspects of the media. And they invited me on to have a short conversation for their episode this week about the culture around. My Favorite Murder, which I know a lot of our listeners listen to, um, and judging by our Crime Writers On exclusive uh, Facebook group, uh, 50-50, our listeners either love that podcast or really fucking hate that podcast. And uh, we I, we just had a conversation about the culture around it that I think you guys might enjoy listening to. So check out this week's Slate Double X Gab Fest and um, listen to me weigh in. And I hope you murderinos out there that I did you proud even though i don't actually listen to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right now kevin um kicking off the show this week can you please read this for me true crime podcast update well as expected and as we predicted this week adnan sayed's legal team has filed its response to the state of maryland's request for maryland's highest court to hear a new appeal in that case Kevin, you have read through Legal Siri, a.k.a. Colin Miller's analysis of that cross petition. What is Anand Syed's lawyer, Justin Brown, arguing? Okay, well, this is the cross petition. So it's sort of a a conditional response. The state is the one that is bringing the appeal, asking the high court to 
take a look again at the previous rulings from the lower courts, what the cross petition does is it responds not only to the state's appeal, it, you know, saying why it shouldn't, uh, why the, the court should not uh, grant a writ of cert to, to allow this to go forward, but it also has this conditional part where it, says, where it basically says, but if you do grant a writ of cert, this is an argument that we would like to bring up. Right. So it's kind of like a never mind if it doesn't happen. So, so in part, uh, they have to argue about why shouldn't the state be granted cert to, to go forward. And one of the arguments that uh, at least Colin Miller pointed out was that when the Supreme Court of a state or of the country gets involved, it's usually because there's a point of, of law that is a benefit to the public at large and not necessarily just a benefit to the litigants. Mm-hmm. And this usually comes about through, you know, an improper or incorrect application of the law or clarification needed for an existing law. So what Justin Brown is arguing is that what the state is saying regarding the alibi witness, mm-hmm. uh, Asia McLean, and whether or not Christina Gutierrez should have, could have, did call her as an alibi witness whether or not that was a thing or not, they're just trying to relitigate the fact of the case. Right. And they're not really, you know, arguing anything more about what is in evidence. Now, to just to remind me, if I'm remembering this right, what the state said in one of the PCR hearings around this was that if Christina Gutierrez had brought Asia McLean in to dispute their timeline, then they would have just presented a different timeline, right? Yeah, that was one of the things <laughs> that yeah. they said. Yeah, yeah, that they I, could. I, I kind of remembered that. I remember thinking that was bananas. Yeah, so they're basically going and saying, okay, you, you, you know, there isn't a, a larger public interest mm-hmm. in taking this case up, but they are going back to you know arguing the idea uh, about the cell tower evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is part of the cross petition. They won that on an earlier appeal, and they'd say, okay, if we are going to you know get into this again, we would like you to reconsider the lower court's decision on w- whether or not if the jury had heard the state expert recant his endorsement of the cell tower evidence, whether that would have made a difference. Right. So, so that that's where we are. And another reminder, the state's expert in the original trial has basically recanted his endorsement of the cell tower yeah, evidence yeah. based on that cell phone fax cover sheet. Now, Kevin, lawyers point to precedents from other cases to make their points. Colin points out that other lawyers are pointing to non-successful appeals as precedents for their cases. Right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know the, the Michael Skakel case yes. in, in Connecticut. Yes, the, just, Ken- the Kennedy cousin. The Kennedy cousin, right? He just had his conviction overturned. Yes. In their arguments, they cited the Adnan Syed case. Really? Yes. Oh, as, as reason, and now that the, the Syed case is going up to a higher court. Justin Brown is citing the precedent in the Skakel case. Because it's a foundation game. Right, yeah, they're basically going up a step, a step, a step. What they're basically saying is the courts decided this, and it was affirmed by this other court making a judgment based on it, so therefore it's right. Yes. What was the Skakel case point from the Asayed case that they used? Do you know? I think it had to do with alibi witnesses. Huh. Huh. That's crazy. I have a fun Skakel fact. What's the fun Skakel fact, Laura? Well, my little middle of the nowhere town where I grew up, where we had like a gas station and nothing else, there was a reform school for rich kids. And Michael Skakel went there. Oh. (laughs) Really? Rich kid reform school. 
Rich Kid Reform School with horses. And um, yeah, Michael Skakel went there when uh, he was shipped away after the great Martha Moxley encounter. Michael, the Michael Skakel case is like a perfect storm of like American true crime. It's got a, it involves the Kennedys. It involves, you know, the, the teen murder, the mystery. There is actually a mystery there. Uh, it involves, what's his face? The guy from the- Mark Furman. Mark Furman from the O.J. Simpson. I think what? he wrote one of the books, oh, yes. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. How did he end up being involved in that? I don't know. I don't know, but it was like really yeah. weird, that sort of yeah. confluence yeah. of Mark Furman and the Michael Skagel case. The whole case. thing was weird to me. The whole thing is very, very strange. So what's the likelihood, did legal series say, that the Court of Special Appeals will grant cert, that word we can't pronounce? Cersei <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Um, well, uh, you remember Colin saying on our, our our podcast, and he said it again here, that even though very few cases are granted cert by the the Supreme Court in Maryland, there's a better than you know fifty fifty chance that they will take up this appeal because of the lower court, the three judges. There was one dissent. Hmm. If it had been three nothing, it was very unlikely that uh, they would grant the appeal and would go sh- straight to be remanded to a new trial. So, right. so if they do say, we're going to take it up, then that delays the possibility of a new trial. But if they say, hands off, no, we're going to let the, the lower court decision stand, then it's Then Asia's in, but the cell phone is out. Uh, right. For the turning over of the of the conviction. Right, yes. Right, right. Yeah, and then, then it's uh, go ahead and uh, book a new trial. But it doesn't mean that the cell phone stuff can't come in in a new trial if the state tries to present it. Yeah, that's correct. Right, yeah, it basically yeah, it sets just, everything back to zero. Yes, yeah, and the whole thing about the, the cell tower evidence was just that it wasn't argued that this exonerates Adnan. It's that Christina Gutierrez didn't use this information and therefore he didn't get his Sixth Amendment right for, you know, effective assistance of counsel was violated. Right, right. So it had more to do with the legal standard for what kind of lawyer and he could expect versus whether or not this is true or not. If they go to a new trial, they can hash out for a jury what the jury's going to believe that all that means. You're like our legal theory this week, Kevin. Not really. You're basically wow. just repeating what I'm, you read I'm, on Collins I'm, blog. I'm legal theory Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound super prepared. <laughs> you do. Thank you for being so prepared. Sure. All right. Well, moving on. Kevin, can you read this for me? The Brichter Scale. <laughs> yes, guys, we have a new brand. Our week by week recap and review of the excellent true crime podcast in the dark season two has been renamed the Brichter Scale. <laughs> Because our listeners have enjoyed uh, hearing Laura's various degrees of fury and anger and reaction to the developments in the podcast. And one of our listeners did, in fact, suggest that we rebrand the segment. So we are doing it. And Kevin, I want you to read it again so I can add some extra echo. All right. Ready? The Brichter Scale. So here we go. Let's take a moment to review the latest episode of APM Reports podcast in the dark season two. This week, Madeline Barron's team takes us into Odell Holman, a.k.a. Cookie's prison cell, where he basically admits to fabricating the testimony, which is the only evidence keeping Curtis Flowers on death row. Basically, Madeline Barron kicked out the third leg of the stool supporting this conviction. By this point, I'd already looked at every other major piece of evidence in the case against Curtis Flowers. The route, the gun the other two snitches, none of it had held up to scrutiny. And now, all that was left was this one story, this one confession. 
And then, from his cell in Parchman Prison, on a spotty cell phone connection, from underneath his tent, Odell Hallman told Samara that story was a lie. For him telling me he killed some people, hell no, he never told me that. That was a lie. I don't know nothing about this shit. It was all make-believe. Everything was all make-believe on my part. One of the things we hear in the podcast right up front is that Odell, as you guessed, Laura Bricker, has a cell phone in prison, mm-hmm. even though he committed mm-hmm. three murders. I don't think he has a cell phone right now. I think, <laughs> I think that's gone. <laughs> I think it's still there. I think as soon as this episode dropped, it disappeared pretty deep, pretty damn fast. Mm. Uh, Laura, what did you? <laughs> Laura's like, no, I've been texting him. He still has this. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's Laura, friended me on Facebook. Kevin. <laughs> uh, um, what did you think of this? That he not only has a cell phone, but he's so comfortable using it that he basically makes a little pillow for it on his bed to use for, to help make it more quiet. But that doesn't stop him from also doing drug deals on the side as he's talking to reporters on his contraband cell phone. Laura, thoughts? Yeah. So this week, um, I decided to vary my walking route while listening. I went deep into the woods where no one could hear my screams Mm -hmm. (laughs) or where someone could kill me and nobody would know. And I I found myself, it was a good thing because I was like, oh my, you've got to freaking be kidding me. So, I mean, I wasn't super surprised that he had a cell phone because I had kind of been like, oh, he probably has a cell phone. Doug Evans probably gave him a cell phone. But I guess what I was surprised at was just like the blatant like disregard for the rules and and just sort of the level of comfort that he had with his cell phone. Like after he got over the um, you're going to pay me for my story nonsense, he was like completely comfortable. Like, uh, hold on, hold on. Yo, so you owe me money. Uh, hold on, hold on. Uh, I'm in my fort. I'm in my tent fort. I'm like, are you are you even kidding me right now? Yeah. So I was in like this, as you would imagine, a full state of rage. But this week's episode, it was it was really quite masterful because it took you from like one emotion to the other in such a complete way. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from complete rage to just such complete compassion and sympathy for the family of Curtis Flowers that by the end of the episode, I was just like, I just want to go hug Curtis's dad. This is the most tragic and sad thing that I've heard so far. Um, The contrast between what his family was doing, what he had been doing before he went to prison, and this guy, Cookie, with his cell phone. I mean, I I need to actually, I think I'm this week, people, I'm going to go befriend Cookie on Facebook to just see, because I don't think they're even going to take his cell phone away. Hmm. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, they don't fucking care. Yeah. This guy is like untouchable, and it is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. End of story. Toby, one of the things I thought was really interesting was uh, Cookie's characterization of his relationship with uh, Doug Evans, the prosecutor in the case. Yeah. How like, you know, we're good. We've always been good. Like I, I get arrested for stuff. He clears it up for me and I do something for him. I, I do something for him. He does something for me. We know that this is not a good guy. We know he murdered three people. Uh, this is not a case of like a habitual, a, a quote habitual offender who's just been arrested so many times and then like, you know, brought into the system and is like would have been fine. Like this is actually a bad guy. What were you thinking when you listened to this phone call and listened to his characterization of Doug Evans? Did you find him credible in his own knocking out of his own testimony in this case? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the thing is that their relationship it's so based on sort of a quid pro quo where they both, they both benefit from their relationship with each other. So that I think in probably both their minds, it's sort of unshakable Mm. because there's really, 
there's no benefit to either one of them to not having the relationship. I don't think they're like buddies. And if Cookie gets out of jail, they're going to like hang out and no, stuff. No, definitely not. But as far as each person wants something and the other one is able to give it to them, and it seems like a fairly even exchange to both of them. So why wouldn't he feel comfortable you know, dealing drugs in the jail and, and being pretty out front about it and having a cell phone and stuff? It's because Evans isn't going to screw me because he relies on me right. and, and vice versa. Now, Kevin, we've had some experience with, um, not to this extent, not to this degree of like bad guy involved, but we have had some experience where we've reached out to people that we wanted to talk to for a story we're reporting and they asked to be paid. Yeah. Can you just like remind our audience who don't, maybe don't understand like how journalism works, like why that is just a non-starter for a credible journalist? Well, I don't remember how journalism works, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> has it been a while for you, Kevin? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, no... Um... <laughs> That's just, you know, a, a basic code of ethics thing. You're not going to pay you for your story as much as you'd really like to, mm. you know. Um, like if you give $500, I mean, you, you'll yeah, learn everything. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, oh, you know I would. But you do, you, you just don't. It, it's actually a very common practice in other places. Mm-hmm. Checkbook journalism in the UK is not uncommon. It's prevalent. It's prevalent. Uh, there are ways that the networks... Television networks. Television networks kind of get around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, if they want to get around that, uh, like, a, like a, a, I'm not saying Dateline, but a Dateline type show, you know, there might be someone who's a, a, a relative says, I want to get paid for my story. And this, we're not going to pay you for your story. National Enquirer. That's right. Well, I, we're, we're going to talk journalism. So we're not talking National <laughs> Enquirer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to bring. Yeah, <laughs> didn't mean to divert us from our topic. <laughs> uh, catch and kill. Uh, so they might say, hey, you know, uh, okay, well, we won't pay you, Dad, but you have these photographs and we'll We'll license the, the use of the photos we'll from you, so you we'll pay you for the photos. Right. So it's like that. But no, you just don't pay because then it calls into question the reliability That's right. of what the person says. It's funny because this is so ingrained in my journalistic DNA now for as long as I've been working in journalism mm-hmm. that like I was on a, a podcasting, there's a podcast support group page that I belong to, which is like literally people starting podcasts who have questions that they ask more experienced podcasters mm-hmm. like, how does this work? How does this work? And one of the questions that came up this week is like, do you pay guests for to be on your show? And there's like all these different answers. And I, you know, and I was just like, no, like you don't pay guests to be on your show. I pay guest hosts because like our show makes revenue. So like if somebody comes Mm -hmm. in and like, you know, Kevin, if you broke your leg or that's probably not a good example, you could still podcast with a broken leg. But if you had strep throat and I had to bring in a substitute for you, like I would pay that person because that's a job. Yeah. But like if you're a panelist or a guest panelist, that was a, that, you know, that you could, you can, that's just sort of a, a yeah, talent labor kind of thing. Interview. No, no, right for information. Right, exactly. Yeah. You cannot be paid for that. I mean, that's literally like no, you could, but you, you could, but, but, but you don't. Right. You don't do that. It's not right, and yeah. it's not something that any credible journalist would do. And clearly, they could have gotten this information pretty cheap if they'd been willing to do it. Yeah, yeah. I would not. It sounds like that they kind of played hard to get. They said no and, and left it for days and days and days. I, I'm I, I more or less try to like okay, I'm going to keep sweet talking you. Right. Okay, give you money. They just but left I'm gonna it. let you. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna, you know. So they were. But good. he kept coming to them. What do you think of that? Well, as soon as he started coming to them, he's on the hook. Yeah. Do you remember he, he, when we were writing him. our book and we tracked that guy down in Italy and uh, asked him to talk to us on Facebook? Yes, it was also uh, on Facebook. How else did you get to get a hold of uh, him? What's his first name? I remember. <laughs> you know him. Who exactly? Sandro yes. Studo. Yes, you know exactly yes, who we're talking I about. Him. Yes. And Stud. and he said, uh, "What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Money wise, I mean." Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, then there was another guy, the guy, the, the, the guy uh, in, in Massachusetts who was a wannabe gangster guy, yes. but he was just a, yeah. You know. Sebastian. Yeah. Was that, yeah. Laura, yeah, what, what do you think it says about Odell's personality that, you know, he made this demand for money, they said no, and basically ignored him, and then he kept coming back to them? Um, I think he's used to getting his way mm-hmm. at this point, yep. and um, he sort of... I don't feel like he lives by the normal rules that would govern somebody that's in prison. And he kind of knows that. I think he's used to using his power. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised that he finally did talk to them. But I also think that he likes to talk and likes to be important. So I think that's kind of what played into that eventual, like, okay, fine, I'll talk. Yeah. Because then once he got talking, it sounds like he wanted, what was he? I mean, he was talking about the dragon book. I'm like, what 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 is this? Yeah. What what is this? Dra- was that the uh, what's her, the woman who wrote Anne McCafferty or something? I don't she know. wrote all those books. Yeah, Probably. I, I think I. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> what? He's like, you know, the dragons before, and I was like, this guy is just in another orbit right now. He wants to talk about himself, which is what they you should get on. Um, and the dragons Patreon book book club. <laughs> <laughs> he has a phone, Toby. Friend him on Facebook and get him on for August. I want to chat with him. <laughs> All right. Some feminist true crime stuff. Exactly. Yeah, be into that. Now, now, Toby, you know, all joking aside, he does talk with an incredible amount of casualness about having testified against this guy who's now on death row. He very casually admits that he lied so he could get something. And then he also sort of casually talks about not really caring that he sent somebody to die, you know, by doing this. What do you think about that? I think it's not very good. Yeah, that, <laughs> that does that. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it, in some ways it's of a piece with that. You know, he goes back to the reporters, you know, to see what kind of deal he can cut. I mean, it seems like he's always, you know, he's always looking for whatever angle he can get. And if part of it is I screw this guy in order to be less screwed myself, yeah. then that's fine. You know, I don't know if it's like technically sociopathic, but it is. In any given situation, it seems as though he's looking at how how is this going to work out for me. Yeah. So I'll make something up. I'll you know keep reducing my price for for talking because getting a little bit is better than getting nothing, and I really don't have any leverage in this situation. Yeah, I think that's that's basically the long and short of it, and I, I don't think he has any compunction about about doing that. I mean, he killed three people for. Yeah. You know, not that there's any almost good reason to, to kill yeah, people, but, but it was just like for the hell kid. of it. He almost like killed four. Kid. Yeah. And he only yeah. for like there by the grace of God did not kill that little kid. So it's just not it's just not part of its calculus. Now, Kevin, this episode um, was structured in such a way that, you know, they sort of finished this part of the story very quickly. Yeah. I think that they a lesser podcast would have drawn out the lead up to his confession that he lied and made that the whole episode. But they they told it in the amount of time they had to tell it, and then they take this turn halfway through the episode because I think what they're doing here is, um, as you mentioned last week, they were going to look at Curtis Flowers and we'll put him in jail, and then they're going to look at the guy who put him there. It felt to me like with the whole second section where they visit the choir rehearsal and we Mm -hmm. hear the... um, and you know what? I was like, that part dragged a little bit for me <laughs> until they did the thing where they played the, the alternating tape of Curtis's dad singing, Curtis singing. And I was like, God damn it, in the dark people. I'm in the <laughs> car driving home from getting like my tire replaced. Yeah. And I was fine. And I'm like, oh, this part of the podcast is like a little slower. They've really changed the pace. And then I felt the freaking water rolling down my cheeks like a loser, like a manipulated 
podcast yeah. loser. Um, it was really moving. I'm sorry, it just was. But do you think this is the pin they're putting in the end of this part of the story? Because she said that next week is going to be about the trials. Are we going to flip to the examination of Doug Evans next week? I think? would. Do you know how many episodes this is going to be? I don't know. I think this was six, right? This was number six. No, I mean, I, the whole series. I don't know, you know how many how many long it's going to be now. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, we, we have learned... I think just about all we're going to get to learn about Curtis Flowers because we can't talk to him because we because we can't talk to him. I mean, there's always more that they keep digging up. Um, yeah, I would like it to start focusing to make that pivot. Yeah, and I think it needs to. Uh, yeah, this was sort of a, a weird middle act. Yeah, you know, I, I mean the whole the denouement. <laughs> I mean the whole thing with Cookie at the beginning of this episode very well could have been the end of the previous episode, mm-hmm. but I think it was good that they sort of cut that off and started something new, and that it wasn't the entire episode. And the, the again, the, like you said, the part with the family was you know was good and it was touching in places there, and it did go on. I think a little long for me, mm-hmm. but I would like to now get to the second half of the thing that you've promised. Mm. You've promised we're going to look at this prosecutor, and I want to know what you got to say. I have a second question for you. Yeah. Um, you listened to The Daily this morning. Yeah. Uh, today is Wednesday. So it is The Daily for today, Wednesday, May 30th, which is about a guy on death row in California yep. who looks like, it looks like he was framed by police, and he's sitting on death row, and he could be killed. So Michael Barbaro on The Daily, one of our favorite podcasts, was able to interview this guy from Death Row. Yeah, I think it was Kevin Cooper. Yes. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that Mississippi won't let Madeline Barron talk to Curtis Flowers? They just won't let her talk to him. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the point is kind of moot because he's not going to talk to her and his lawyers say don't talk to her. Why deny yeah. access to an inmate, to a journalist? I mean, there are some there are some legitimate reasons, you know, that are understandable that the Department of Corrections can take if the the inmate lost privileges or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. He's on death row. That might mean that there's there's less access to him. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to figure out, is it just him as far as people on death row in like similar situations? Is it just him? He said, no, you can't have him, but you could you could have the guy in the next cell. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, otherwise, you know, it starts sniffing. It starts to smell a little bit like, uh, oh, you're going to look into this? Well, we're not going to, we're not going to facilitate that yeah so toby you're still in within the dark season two right you're gonna listen again next week uh yeah of course uh laura bricker where are you right now on the uh brichter scale within the dark season two do you want to give yourself a a number on that well so i was on like an 11.5 when i heard the cell phone Mm. but Mm. then i was pretty deflated and depressed after i heard his father and their gospel singing yep i'm gonna say i'm still at about a 9.75 oh that's that's a pretty high brichter scale rating out of 10. <laughs> so 11.5 to when, begin when with. When I heard the cell phone thing, I was it's, like, it's like <laughs> out in the woods. And then I was like, it's, oh my God, I'm going to like, this is so uh, depressing. So I came down a little bit. It's very spinal tap. It yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Laura knows how systems work. The Richter scale yeah, this, this scale is, goes to it's my the own scale. Like, I've just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's native to me. The Brichter scale is a thing unto itself, people. It yeah. just yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Kevin, final mm-hmm. thoughts about In the Dark Season 2. Uh, well, I definitely want to see uh, next week when Laura has another angry walking fit. Okay. And yeah. you know, if, you keep, if you keep listening to this podcast and go on those anger walks, 
Laurie, you're going to need a new pair of shoes, mm, which is I fortunate am. because we all just got shoes from Rothy's. We did. Oh, we yeah. Did. Sh- we did. Well, you got two pairs Ladies. of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, a shoe that combines style and comfort Rothy's everyday flat for life on the go. It's stylish, classic, comfortable, and it comes in three styles, the flat, the point, and the loafer. Laura, tell me, what uh, which pair of Rothy's shoes did you get? I got the flat, the regular one with the rounded toe, and they were super comfortable right off the bat. And I, I got so many compliments, and then I also like to tell everybody, yeah, they're made out of water bottles. Yeah. yeah. Um, because Recycled they're super plastic cool water shoes. Bottles. Yeah. And you can wash them, Machine which is always washable. Yes, I mean not to like give too much information, but my feet stink, so like I don't wear shoes like this. <laughs> but I can wash these ones. That's right. I actually think the Rothy's shoes. I was saying uh, when I was in the call with the Rothy's people, Kevin, that yeah. like we should get your daughter a pair before she goes to college because they will last her for four years. She had this cute, mm-hmm. stylish flat to wear with jeans, to wear with dresses, to wear with whatever. It's like a classic flat shoe the classic point shoe like the little moccasin that they've come out with is so cute the patterns are great the colors are great they're totally washable they're extremely comfortable you know my feet my feet are super effed up and i can wear these shoes and i love them it feels like you're wearing a sock it's incredible yeah right now rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners using the code crime crime you'll get free shipping no minimum purchase that's right get free shipping plus free returns and exchanges on your rothy's shoe but trust me, you won't want to return them. You won't. Just go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com and enter code CRIME. CRIME. To get your cute shoes for free shipping. Those shoes are a no-brainer. They are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable. Plus, and you get, washable. Plus, you get free shipping. <laughs> get yourself a pair today. Rothy's dot com, promo code CRIME. Get it while the deal lasts. Listen, I'm sorry that we keep harping on the machine washable thing, but like... Some shoes are technically machine washable, like sneakers or whatever. Yeah. It never works out. It never. These no. shoes, I've already washed mine. They're actually machine washable. They come out the same as they did when you put them in. It's incredible. So does this mean you'll be doing the laundry more often? Nope. All right, Kevin, what else you got? Ooh. <laughs> Moving well, on. Well, if, they're, if we're talking about comfort, there is no more comfortable underwear in the world oh. than Tommy John. Nope. Oh, wait, Rebecca is reaching into her waistband, and she's pulling it out. She's pulling pulling a Laura Bricker right now. That's touching the waistband. That's an an amazing pair of women's underwear. But you know what? What? We're not talking about that today. Oh, no. What are we talking about? Men's underwear. Because Tommy John. Yes. High five, Tobe. Boom. Okay. (laughs) It's guy's night. It's guy's (laughs) night. (laughs) Remember, Tommy John originally started as uh, male underwear. Now, they have a great female line, but hey. Why not think of Dad for Father's Day with a limited edition gift set from yourself. Tommy John? <laughs> Why not? Tommy John uses proprietary fabrics that are so soft and light, oh, Dad will incredible. swear he is going commando. And all Tommy John underwear <laughs> is backed by the best pair he'll ever wear or its free guarantee. So you've got nothing to lose. So this Father's Day, give the dad in your life a gift that is ahead of its time, evolved underwear from Tommy John. Give them to your husband, he's, who's a dad. Yeah, I have And then to... buy some for yourself while you're on there, ladies, because it is freaking awesome. You know, it has the no wedgie guarantee. I love and it. And I have to, you, you know, you think wedgie. It's legit. It, you, know, you think like seventh grade, yeah. um, you know, bully attack. But, you know, when you, it's like, no, actually, this this is a thing that does happen totally. to you naturally. 100%. And it's just, you Especially know, when to get it's warm just out. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, guess it's what? It's an annoyance. Guess what? This is the reason why I've replaced all my underwear with Tommy John underwear. That no wedgie thing, it's legit. It's legit. Yeah. It's great underwear. It's the best. Legit. 
I'm going to get you some for Father's Day. <laughs> okay. For Father's Day. We're Surprise. spending a lot of time talking about, <laughs> about like spontaneous self-wedgies. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, you can get me that by shopping this limited edition Father's Day gift set at TommyJohn.com slash crime, crime right now and get 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash crime. crime for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash crime. It's really good underwear. Moving on. ESPN Sports Anthology podcast 30 for 30 has changed up its format for its third season. Instead of bringing a variety of sports-related features, it's focusing on one story. In the five-part series, Bikram, host Julia Lowry-Henderson, talks about the rise of hot yoga fitness guru Bikram Chaudhry. The man who shaped up more celebrity bodies than any exercise instructor. He is Los Angeles' most prominent yoga master to the stars and three times served as national yoga champion of India. Would you welcome Bikram Chaudhary? Half a billion people has been benefited directly, indirectly from Bikram yoga around the globe. I mean, he's created a yoga that has healed and helped tens of thousands of people at minimum and that has hurt and destroyed thousands of lives. And there's no arguing with either sides of those coins. Henderson peels back the veneer of Bikram's self-created myth and gets into the many allegations of sexual misconduct and the effect of the controversy on the yoga empire that bears his name. So as usual, we are going to be discussing major plot points of the podcast we're reviewing this week. So if you want to just skip ahead to our spoiler-free thumbs-up or thumbs-down review of Bikram by 30 for 30 from ESPN, go ahead and look at the show notes right now where I've put a timestamp for where that review is, and you can just skip all this juicy stuff. Now, uh, one of the things that I want to talk about about this podcast is they did drop all five episodes at once, which we've talked about before on this show. It's a new trend of dropping seasons rather than doing the weekly serial style storytelling. Sometimes I think it's a really good idea. Sometimes I think it's a really terrible idea. I'm just going to go ahead and put in a plug for it being a good idea in this case because... As I said to you guys, um, it kind of has a little bit of a slow burn. The first two episodes give a lot of context about Bikram Yoga, which I think really helps orient someone say like you, Kevin, who may not understand kind of like what this whole community and culture is about. So the slow burn of the first two episodes, do you think it was a good idea that all five were dropped at once? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that this is um, this is bingeable. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing. Yeah. I wonder if it came out. Week after week after week. Would you have kept listening? Whether I would have kept listening. I don't know. I think this is an interesting way to tell stories. This might be the better way of, of delivering a lot of these podcasts. It might be. It, it yeah. might be. I'm not sure. Toby, so our narrator here, the reporter behind the story, Julia, um, she discloses early on in the series that she used to manage a Bikram studio in New York. So here we have a narrator who's actually like a first person participant in the community she's reporting on. What do you think of that? Do you think that that works in this series? Yeah, I, I think it does. You know, I think these things cut both ways in that she has sort of psychological insight and credibility about talking about sort of the like cult that is Bikram yoga. I mean, the people that they talk to certainly sound like they're cult members, mm -hmm. right? And I think, and it's weird in that I think there's a lot of people who do Bikram yoga who don't center their lives around it, I would assume, although we don't hear from any of those type of people. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, there's, so, so there's that. And then on the other hand, 
to take that cult thing a little bit further, like the whole apostate attitude towards their former cult or religion or whatever is is often quite harsh. So you have to keep that in mind too. Although I don't think necessarily in this case right. that I think as a reporter, she seemed to be both able to convey sort of the attraction of Bikram Yoga and of Bikram Chaudhary himself uh, as sort of his public persona. And at the same time, you know, the, the sense of betrayal she had as somebody who obviously really bought into it. And I think buying into Bikram Yoga, at least until very recently, was kind of buying into Bikram Chaudhary. Mm-hmm. You get a sense of both the attraction and then the, the sense of betrayal mm. afterwards. There were so many things in this podcast that reminded me of so many other things we've talked about on the show. And and you mentioned the, the cult tie-in. There are so many things about hearing the story about how he built this legend around himself and around this brand that reminds me so much of the cult of Scientology, which we talked about on the show, and so much of uh, the cult we talked about, the Rajneeshis, um, in Wild Wild Country, the sort of cult of personality around a central figure. But the Scientology thing for me was a little more resonant because there is this mission with Bikram Yoga. It's, yes, a, gr- a great fitness activity that makes people healthy and makes them fit, but the way they frame it as changing lives, we're going to change 7 billion lives. Mm. Uh, reminded me a lot of that. Um, but the other thing that it brought to mind for me, Laura, was some of the origin stories we heard in the Missing Richard Simmons podcast about mm-hmm. this fitness guru starting a practice and starting like a community around fitness. Mm-hmm. And we hear the yeah. historical details about Bikram's first studio, the carpet, the mirrors, the heat, the Speedo. What did you think of that scene that we get around him and his like TV appearances and just like sort of his persona in those early days? Well, I, I mean, I was first, I, I am a person who like smells and things like that. I, I get totally, so <laughs> yeah. when I heard like there's carpet, there's BO, oh. there's people pooping themselves and peeing and puking, I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> now I know why I never did this kind of yoga. <laughs> I mean, I thought, like, I mean, there's a few, I, I've done a lot of yoga. I've done different types of yoga. And I was like, oh, I should try that hot yoga. Um, I'm pretty glad I didn't do it now, having heard this. But I, I hadn't really thought about that sort of comparison to the early days of Richard Simmons. But I definitely can see that because, you know, when you think back, like, remember, they had like the same people. And remember the guys who were like, we got in the front row That's right. Richard's classes. That's right. And it was the same thing with this. I mean, it's like, is it fitness or is it cult? I mean, I can't lie. I go in the same spot every time when I go to my little bar class at the gym and like someone today is like, oh, you're in your spot. And I'm like, well, it's like church. You have your pew and that's where you sit and you don't move. <laughs> um, but it, it, it definitely, there was there was definitely that, that carryover between, you know, the early days and the excitement. And it was like everybody who was anybody was doing the Bikram yoga. Right. Whether or not half these people were really doing the Bikram yoga, I think kind of is up for debate. Mm. Raquel Welch, though, was doing the Bikram yoga she because he it. sued her. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, she, so it sounds like in the beginning, like you, you kind of get a sense of this, like the sense of excitement that surrounded it. And it was like the thing to do. And I look around now, I mean, and I'm like, okay, so what at my gym is going to become like the next big cult? I don't think there's any like cults going on in my gym right now, but I'm like, Ooh, is the pound class going to be a cult now? The, the, you know, the the cult of the pound class. Do you know what that is? No. No. Is it chasing loose dogs around? (laughs) 
No, you have um, these like <laughs> drumstick things and you like beat them off the floor and beat them and tap them and beat them and pound. I don't know. It's a whole thing. Um, I think the beating off was what got Beckerman. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. If only he would have done that instead of oh, yes. uh, assaulting these a, women. The massage, the massage. But I mean, I definitely. So I came in the beginning. I was like, yeah, this is like I can sense the excitement when this first started. But then there's clearly from the outside as you're listening to this a moment where you're like, this is a cult. Right. This is clearly a cult. He is controlling these people. These people are brainwashed. This is wrong. Kevin, thoughts? Cult or fitness craze? Or both? Like, both. Yeah. And I think that later on in the series, when we start to get to descriptions of what happened and his his victims are these people who are taking you know, this, this teacher training training so that they can, you know, excel in their own uh, studios back home, that it's not just the influence of a powerful religious or cult type figure. It's also corporate. So I think that it also adds the dynamic that the CEO is hitting on you and you're worried also about your economic your livelihood. Prosper, your, li- your livelihood. You're right. going to be disadvantaged in your career if you don't do this. And that is another element kind of layered on top of all the sort of cult of personality behind him as well. Right. So, you know, it, it just is just another reason why the victims felt like they couldn't say no to him because right. they had a lot personally riding on their relationship with him and their ability to succeed in this organization. That's one of the reasons why I really liked the slow burn of the first two episodes, because I do think that context not only sets up the why people were so into the practice and the how it got so popular. It also sets up that like the people who did this, they first of all, like what are all the hallmarks of a cult? Like Toby, you know, like when they try to extract money from you, when they explicitly like try to separate you from your friends and family which like they actually say like you can't have contact with your friends and family while you're in this training you've got to say his exact words including like the korean like hamburger bad, bad or whatever it was. sayings and stuff yeah i mean it's yeah it's bizarre it's bizarre the dialogue i mean the there, rolls royce there are so many things about the it train of thought that are so clearly uh, the yeah. same patterns and we talked about this when we talked about um wild wild country too and the scientology episode a lot of the same techniques that cults use to indoctrinate people to break them down and then get them it's the same techniques that the military uses when they want recruits to just fall in line and do what they want them to do it's like that depersonalization that pushing you to the limits all of that is there but I loved that you pointed to the thing that I kept thinking about, which is that this is like they are all thinking like this is going to be my job. I'm going to make money doing this. This is going to be my business. It's going to be my yeah. livelihood. And that he has control over their ability to sustain themselves and their businesses. There's a, there is a sexual harassment, traditional workplace sexual harassment mm-hmm. story here that is. But to they don't me, just think that. It's true. It is true. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's not, not it's not it's not a false it's not a false thought on their their part. That's it's, right. It's like yeah, if you they, know, if he, they he cross withdraws him, Bikram. That's right. From their thing, then it's it's not Bikram yoga, and that's what's hot. Yeah, which is nuts because it wasn't even Bikram yoga to start with. <laughs> it was <laughs> spoiler alert: yoga royalty of India, grandma's <laughs> yoga to start with. But I want to take a poll here. Has anyone here, like Rebecca, did you ever go through a Bikram yoga phase? I know I did. The, I did a one class once. 
Did you and vomit? No, no, no. It's the classes aren't like that. Honestly, like the one thing that they skip in this podcast, and the reason why Bikram, there's actually a, a second reason why Bikram is so popular that they don't talk about in this podcast. So it's these 26 movements over an hour and a half. You can be a complete beginner and do this. So when you go to these Bikram classes, usually at the front, there are some like really fit, hot people like who look amazing and like do everything perfectly. And then in the back, there's a bunch of dowdy moms like me who are like <laughs> 30 pounds overweight who are just like trying out the yoga. And for me, it just honestly came down to like, I hate being hot so much. Like I'm not one of the people who loves hot weather. Like i fucking hate being hot so and the smell was not good but um <laughs> yeah but yeah but that's okay. one of the reasons it's so popular is because you can go in this class and because it's the same movement over and over again like you can be a beginner and do it and then you can advance and keep doing it but it's always the same so you know what it's going to be it's never a mystery but i have a question yeah did you wear a speedo no, <laughs> no. <laughs> i need to know i was the new york state yoga champ when i was 11 12 yeah. 13 and 14 yes and what is, I, I did have to wear a speedo. What are yoga championships? How do you how do you win? What do you well, do? You know what? You hold the position. There's actually, longer? in the town next to me, there's a girl who won like the national yoga championship. So it is a legit thing. Hmm. And she was like a ballet dancer, and then she also did yoga, and she won. They're is this something that's everything. judged? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, like, think, I think it's got to be like gymnastics. I mean, if you go on the internet, it's like these women making their bodies into like a backwards O with like Bikram standing on their abdomen, you know, telling a joke. You've seen fitness competitions, right? Where they do the posing and stuff. It's like that, but for yoga. Okay. All right. No, it sounded, it just sounded like maybe like it was like a, like a dance fight? Yeah. Like no, they, like, it just doesn't like, seem like there should be a competition get on the floor it. and yeah. someone takes out a bed of nails. And, the competition does seem counter to the practice of like yeah. helping people. Does exactly. not? Tea drinking competition. <laughs> right. All right. Um, well, let, let's, right. Let's, let's talk about, you know, the actual, I mean, obviously the podcast, we are introduced to like every character who's going to be in the podcast in the first episode, but then we don't hear from some of them again and then she sort of brings them out again and it turns out that Bikram um, isn't just, you know, a shady uh, businessman who likes to get massages. Turns out he also has lots of allegations of sexual assault and uh, harassment and all of the things that could possibly go wrong with having a powerful man at the center of this. And now we are obviously in the middle of this uh, big moment in our culture, this Me Too movement where, you know, Bill Cosby was finally convicted of rape after decades of allegations against him. Matt Lauer was fired from the Today Show. These stories are prevalent in our culture right now. I don't think anyone was surprised at this turn. But Kevin, what did you think of the of, of the stories that these women told? And I'm not going to ask if you found them credible. I think that we all agree they were. Yeah, no, I thought but they what were do you powerful. Think of the narrative? Yeah, I thought they were powerful. And I also... I was moved by the other – I forget their names and their exact positions, but the other women uh, who heard their stories. Yeah. Um, the ones that f- – were running the Facebook group. And yeah, then, and yeah. the ones that felt like they could have done something different for them. And, you know, you know, when you're hearing it, it's kind of like, no, that wasn't – that wasn't your fault. That's not this thing isn't on you. But they sort of just naturally feel this. They're they're so empathic that you know you start to feel it too. I thought it was I thought it was really moving, and you know I hope it's empowering for those people that were caught up in this that they they know that there is a community that does support them. Mm. 
also there was the one guy who said, you know, this community is divided in, in basically into three groups. There's, you know, the ones that you know are, are horrified by the uh, the sexual allegations and don't have anything to do with Bikram. There are those that. Uh, you know, viciously, fiercely defend Bikram and uh, won't believe anything. True believers, that yeah. The true believers. And, and then there's people like me who are trying to reconcile this, right. that the practice of Bikram yoga has been so beneficial and it's part of our livelihoods and it's really it's really great for the people who are there. But but the guy named Bikram, the guy who brought it to us, you know, is is very flawed. Do we ignore those things or do we find a way to reconcile the two? Right. And it's not dissimilar from the separating the artist from the art conversations we're hearing in these, you know, Me Too movement, you know, moments, the Harvey Weinstein stuff, the, you know, Bill Bill Cosby Cosby, stuff, the Roseanne Barr stuff, uh, Woody Allen. Um, Now, Toby, this is different because it's not a piece of media that, you know, you can just not watch or ignore or just like, you know, I will tell you the really difficult one to escape is Kevin Spacey because he is in like most of my favorite movies yeah. <laughs> um, and most of my kids' favorite movies. Um, but, you know, I can't even look at him. Like, I just I feel completely different when I look at him. But we're talking about a practice that you do with your body. Uh, Toby, how do you think, uh, you know, this conversation happened in the podcast? What did you think of that part of the podcast when they were sort of talking about that reconciliation? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, it's a little bit less tough, in my opinion, just because it's not actually something he came up with. Mm. You know, he just basically found something and marketed it to people who didn't know it before. Right. So in, in a way, you could just say, well, look, this guy was a con man to begin with. So the fact that he's also a sexual predator is kind of in keeping with this idea of, you know, extreme narcissism and, you know, stealing other people's stuff and calling it your own. Just telling these unbelievable lies about like treating what Janet Reno's gout or something, yeah. and Richard yeah. Nixon, and all this kind of random stuff. I think you can just based on what what we heard on the podcast is it seems that you can you can kind of divorce, you can even change it from from the Bikram. You know, if somebody really wanted to, you could just do the research, find out what where this thing actually came from in India. If it wasn't his originally, I don't think he can sue you for copyright violations. Mm. So just, I mean, I think you can go ahead with the practice. It is copyrighted, though. Yeah. But can you copyright somebody else's intellectual property? Somebody has to challenge it. The person who Uh, actually created it uh, has to actually challenge it. And that person has he done that since since it came out? I might have missed that. I might have like. Yeah, no, he he copyrighted it during the uh, lawsuit phase of the podcast, and so he made it so that if you wanted to do this at all, you had to use his name, and you and then that, that was the and he had like a shitty business practice, like he wasn't making franchise money like he could have been. Right. Yeah. He was just controlling the brand. But like, if I if I like if I like went to like India and found some like pop tune I thought was really great and came back and just recorded it and then copyrighted it. <laughs> Couldn't people be like, uh... It needs to be challenged. Well, there was the guy you know, actually, who... Actually, that was somebody else's song that you are pretending <laughs> is yours? Yeah. Well, there was the guy who came up with the example. He said, well, what, what if you did a, a weightlifting workout where you did... Right, the Schwarzenegger. Did fly, yeah, yeah, did these many flies and this many bench presses, and it's like, okay, that's the Schwarzenegger workout, and he copyrights that, and you could do that. Right. And so, yeah, so the, if you that ve- exact but, reps. But the recipe. whole thing is, if you vary from his routine... Mm. You don't have to call it Bikram, and you can That's do whatever right. you want. Well, now do you think like no? There's there's the macro issue here, which is the business side and the and the you just c- call hot cultural. Yoga, but don't talk about cheeseburgers. Right. If he had never called it Bikram, right? 
would it be an easier call for people to sort of move on from the say, oh, the founder of this or one of I'm the leaders something. of this is is a, a criminal? And it just, it just you're just able to have the benefit of of the whole th- yoga. My, my opinion, yeah, is that I am not an insider. I'm not part of this community. I'm not like a yogi person. I'm just a consumer. Uh, you know, of fitness stuff occasionally. Yeah, who are you fooling? Yes, and I call it hot yoga because yeah. that's how it was introduced yep. to me. Yep. And I think the only people who are buying this bullshit that nobody will come if it's not called Bikram are Bikram people. Because we heard that guy say when he changed the name, like he got all of his old customers yeah, back. Yeah. Laura, you said there are some Bikram studios with the name still in them near you, right? Yeah, I was. So I listened to this and I, I felt kind of, you know, when I when I heard that people were changing the name of their studios and disassociating from Bikram, I was like, that's good. But I'm like, I feel like I've seen some studios around me. So I, I looked it up and there's like three studios mm. Within twenty minute, minutes of me, there's yeah. one in Newburyport, there's one in Portsmouth, there's one in Durham, and I'm there's like one downtown Durham. Yep. I'm like, seriously, are you guys freaking serious? Like, you're. Ke- I guess I have a hard time with the people that are keeping the name because you know I've had friends that have practiced this style of yoga, and they were like, oh yeah, that guy's a bad guy. Mm. Yeah, we stopped doing that yoga, and I'm like, so. I guess I don't understand how these people are still keeping the name and justifying it. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, it's fine. You know, uh, No, it's not. It's bullshit. Now, Laura, I know that you were hoping uh, to get a little more digging into the backstory of his deceit about his uh, India life, right? Yeah. I was hoping to learn because, you know, we heard a little bit about that when they interviewed the woman who was like, oh, this woman is from like the yoga royalty family in India. And she's like, Which, yeah, by the way, how hot must those people be like to be yoga yeah. royalty? They must be like the best. I'm looking like, I would like to be yoga royalty. I would like to look <laughs> like that. But, um, you know, she's like, oh, no, I recognize these poses. I did these with my grandmother growing up. This is not his yoga. This is like yoga that's been around. And so. It, you know, it was my impression, you know, in talking to some of my friends that have done this kind of yoga, oh, yeah, they they outed him on that. And he never even made up that that was that was yoga that he like basically pilfered from these people they you know that already had done it. But I didn't really get a sense that that had ever come to anything from this podcast. So I wanted to know a little bit more about was anything ever done about the fact that he, you know, basically took this this style of yoga and this series of postures that had already been done in India, brought it over here, claimed it was his own, became the big creepy cult leader in his creepy black speedos. And like nothing ever happened as a result of that. And now he's where is he like Brazil teaching yoga? Mexico. But I I wanted to know more about what like did the yoga community in India ever retaliate against him for this or try to do something about this Hmm. well they wrote a strongly worded letter to him (laughs) well um certainly an interesting podcast definitely a little bit outside of our true crime wheelhouse but not 100 percent outside of it uh there is a crime feel like a true crime podcast right right? but there is a crime at the center of it here yeah yeah it's not a, a put down at all but style wise it's a really interesting story that has a uh, has a crime element to it, but nonetheless, I think it's very well told. Well, why don't we go ahead and review it then, Kevin, right. since you just tipped your hand. Uh, Laura Bricker, I'd love for you to give your thumbs up or thumbs down review of 30 for 30 from ESPN's, their series Bikram, this five-part series. Thumbs up or thumbs down, Laura Bricker, and why? I'm going to go thumbs up. I, You know, I didn't know a lot about the background of Bikram. The first two episodes definitely clued me in. They had really good access to a lot of people that had been involved in the Bikram yoga community. They had good tape of Bikram himself. 
a lot of good insight. A very interesting story from start to finish, but I will say the Richter scale was um, was a little high at the end of this because <laughs> this guy was allowed to just move along and continue his tactics in another country, which I found absolutely bullshit. But it's it's a good podcast. It's very interesting. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bikram from 30 for 30 by ESPN. Yeah, you know, I'd actually... Uh, done a fair amount of reading about this beforehand. So a lot of the stuff in the story wasn't really new to me, but I thought it was very well done. I thought the uh, host narrator was really good. So yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I don't feel, again, it doesn't, it's interesting. It's well done. I don't think it, it, it really breaks any ground as far as the kind of podcast that we've been listening are, but it's like super competent. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed listening to it, definitely. So thumbs up. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb and give it a huge thumbs up. Um, I loved the series. I binged the thing. I listened to the all five episodes in a row. I thought it was a story about sexual assault, which isn't something we've talked about a lot in this podcast. And it was done very, very, very well. Uh, I think that the um, context that it brings to the story, not knowing a lot about the backstory of Bikram and the cult around Bikram and all that stuff was really, really important because frankly, and no offense to all the yoga people listening to the show, it would be so fucking easy to hate these yoga people without the deeper context. It would be so easy to be like, you know, just not be sympathetic to anything they had to say when you like know how devoted to this practice they are and just know how hot, you know, they have to be and whatever. And the context is really important to make you understand how they became these devoted yoga people. And I was with them in this storytelling. I even understood why they stayed in that room when people were literally shitting on their yoga mats during that training. Um, oh, we're supposed to be spoiler free for yes. this part. Well, yes. I was just thinking, though, there's somehow I have to mention. I think that's like in one of the previews for the podcast, though, is a little sound bite. So I, I loved it. I yeah. loved this five part series. I thought it was beautifully done. I think it is a must listen of 2018. So far, it's one of the strongest things we've listened to this year. Huge thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Hey, I'm with you there. I th I'm giving this a thumbs up. I think it was very well done. I, even just the first episode, if you stopped there, and it was still a really interesting story about this guy's self-made myth. Mm -hmm. And then it just it just goes and the into celebrities, his, the celebrities and whatnot, and and um, you know, without giving away any of this the stuff, it just it, it it slowly goes to this really dark place, and you know, sort of all the important consequences of it. I'm definitely thumbs up because hey, you know, why not like try all those different poses and maybe you'll have like a really great summer mm. because you would look really great. You'd be hot, hot yoga person. Hot yoga person. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, another great thing for the summer though what? is to get the Fab Fit Fun Summer Box. Ooh, summer Box. Yeah. Fab What's in the box? I'll tell you what's in the box. FabFitFun is the seasonal subscription box for women to discover new products for a life well lived. The box is delivered right to your door four times a year for just $49.99. And Rebecca, you know, when I was checking out the box, you know, sometimes you get these things and then you're like, you get like these little sample sizes They're not of little stuff. Sample, they're full sizes. No, 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 full size things, fashion, beauty, home, fitness, wellness products, no sample sizes of, uh, of anything. It's a big box of awesome. Tell me about the last box that you had. 
Oh my God, there was like a full-size candle in it, some full-size beauty products, a gorgeous, like very soft cashmere-ish throw uh, to wear around my shoulders in the freezing cold studio was in it. Uh, there were some slipper socks, uh, some jewelry, some really great uh, lotions and creams, full size. It was wonderful, the last box I received. The summer box is valued at $320. Whoa. And it includes the Foreo Luna Fofo. What is that? I probably did not say that right I at like all. the way you said it. <laughs> say it again. It sounds fancy. Foreo Luna Fofo. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm just going to go with that. It retails at $89. So it means that you pay you know, less than the cost of the box for just one product there. Right, That's, right. You know, you're, you're making it up just on, on that one. So sign up for Fab Fit Fun today to get your summer box. The Fab Fit Fun summer box is in limited supply, and these boxes always sell out. So go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CRIME, CRIME to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 of products for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com. Use code CRIME for Crime. $10 off your first FabFitFun box. What else you got, Kevin? Well, if I want a box delivered to my house, yes. I want it filled with meat for the grill. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I want a box of Omaha Steaks delivered hand-trimmed, flash-frozen, and vacuum-sealed meats sent directly to my door in an Omaha Steaks cooler. You know, it's great because when you get um, your your delivery of Omaha Steaks, you've got so many different things to choose from. You know, just before you go out out to work, maybe just take one out to frost uh, steaks, some chicken, something great for the grill. They have so much stuff right now. Omaha Steaks is offering our listeners a limited-time Father's Day package for only $49.99. That's 78% off. So you go to OmahaSteaks.com. That's a lot. Big discount. It is. (laughs) 78%. Yeah. Search crime and then you can get this Omaha Steaks Father's Day package, which includes, you ready? Yes. Two filet mignon, Mm -hmm. two sirloin, Mm -hmm. four chicken fried steaks, Uh two boneless pork chops, Uh four all beef Omaha steak burgers, Uh four jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus get four more Omaha steak burgers free with purchase. Wow, that's a lot of meat. That is a lot. You got to invite a lot of friends. A lot of meat in that box. Again, this is a limited time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com. Just type crime in the search bar and add the Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. And now it's time for favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. Although he lived life on the edge, Jim Mad Dog Sellers died peacefully of a heart condition this week. A Springfield, Missouri Reserve police officer, Mad Dog was best known around town as a storm chaser. His brother said that he had a natural gift for checking the radar and knowing exactly where a twister was heading next. Before he died, he made his wishes known about what to do with his remains. He says he wants his ashes launched into a tornado. (laughs) While it seemed a fitting tribute, Mad Dog had obviously never seen the Big Lebowski. We don't know (laughs) if or when his wishes will be carried out, but we are pretty sure we know what happens when you throw five pounds of pulverized bone into 150 miles an hour circular blowing winds. So panel, here's my question for you. Where would you like your ashes spread when you go to that big podcast studio in the sky? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. 
I would say uh, spread them around downtown Exeter so that when uh, great injustices happen, my little ashes can uh, fire some people up to uh, (laughs) yell and swear and fight the man. Mm. Uh, Toby Ball, where would you like your ashes spread when you head to that big podcast studio in the sky? I, I really don't fucking care at all. Because <laughs> you'll be dead. It makes no difference to me. Maybe in my my cat's litter box or something. I don't know. <laughs> so cynical. So cynical. Uh, Kevin Flynn, you know where I would like my ashes spread? Where? I would like them put in a miracle whip jar and buried <laughs> in center field at Fenway Park. Because I know that is the only fucking way you will ever visit me after I'm dead. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, what about you? Where would you like your ashes spread? I want to spread all over the house just to annoy you. (laughs) Nice. Vacuum it up. Yeah, it would be like I'm there still alive, making a mess of the house. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, Laura Bricker, before we end the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? (laughs) Yes, and I'm going to say I have a runner-up because I had a lot of great submissions this week. So Brooklyn's cat, Dusty. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to her Dust Bunny appearance, um, Dust Bunny, Brooklyn's cat, just got um, its spring shave, mm-hmm. which was cool because she sent me lots of pictures of that. Oh, but I saw. I'm sorry. She campaigned hard. Yeah, she campaigned hard, but I'm sorry. Tina Hamilton wins this week. 11 months ago, Jimmy Dunn disappeared in the middle of the night. Mm. His owner searched, posted rewards, investigated the local anti-cat couple's house for evidence and came up empty-handed. Mm-hmm. Life moved on. The family adopted two stray siblings and everyone remembered Jimmy as a great cat. And then one night, 11 months later, a little voice was heard at the cat door. Jimmy had returned. (laughs) Healthy, a little skittish, not at all happy that he had new siblings and very much alive. They are so happy to have this giant beast home and very curious exactly where he was. Real question, though. Is there a Stephen King pet cemetery across the road from where they live? <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. All right, Laura Bricker, if people want to continue to campaign for you to not make their lame-ass cats runner-up, but to win cat or dog or fish or hamster of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to reach out to you and give you some better suggestions than I don't fucking care for where to spread your ashes, how can they find you online? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, people want to write to you and tell you what a wonderful wife I am for burying myself in a jar of Miracle Whip at Fenway Park when I hate Miracle Whip and baseball. How can they find you on Twitter? They can't. <laughs> no, for real, how can they find you on I'm Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flay. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. You can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. You can support us at Patreon.com and hear Toby's exclusive Balls Deep Book Club podcast (laughs) for other exclusive ad-free content, including our marriage podcast, Married with Podcast. You can subscribe at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Is that a cat? I hear a purrer. It's Rocky Flintstone. Nice. Go to our website to sign up for our newsletter. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we don't do yoga, but it is really hot and we do wear very little clothing. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Are we all set? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm all, I'm so about this cat. You don't even know. He's such a cool cat. Oh, we carry know. on. Oh, we know.
We, we fucking get it, Laura Bricker. <laughs> <laughs> this cat scores a 7.9 on the Brichter scale. This cat has everything. A job, curiosity. Pause. He's had like 800 like retweets since I tweeted a picture Feline of him. Feline HIV. Chlamydia. No, only Stampy had chlamydia. A tattoo of a smaller cat on his arm. <laughs> a, a cat tramp stamp. <laughs> The fact that you said arm is just cracking me up. (laughs) (laughs) So he rolls up his sleeve, he can make it dance. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys ready? Ready. Okay. Partners in crime media. Kind makes delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. Now you can try 20 Kind snacks with their new snack pack. Enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club, Kind's monthly snack subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash crime for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash crime to learn more and subscribe to the snack pack.